Hello and welcome to Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This is episode 88. In today's podcast, the most important remedies for dog dementia. Everything you need to know about allergies in dogs. Plus, the disturbing news story of a woman who was killed by her own dog. And the suggestion that breed-specific legislation is the answer. Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. I encourage you to grab a copy of my free book, Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. It's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. Doggy dementia or canine cognitive dysfunction. This is similar to Alzheimer's in people. Dogs accumulate a protein called beta amyloid in their brain as they age. Dogs then show signs similar to people with Alzheimer's. What are some of those signs? Your pet may sleep more and play less. He has a graying muzzle, poor hearing, and poor vision. You may see cataracts. Here are some of the common symptoms. Increased sleeping, appearing confused, loss of training such as loss of host training, Unable to recognize familiar people, a lack of interest in surroundings and events, increased drinking and urinating, excessive panting, some unusual behaviors, you know, such as staring at the wall, maybe excessive barking, appearing deaf, just overall less interest or activity, just appearing old. You know, so this just happens as there's normal aging changes that are going on as your dog ages, but there are specific things that can be contributors to cognitive decline. Certain drugs such as barbiturates, Valium and related drugs, gas anesthetics, drugs used to increase heart rate, chemotherapy drugs, and one of the most commonly prescribed veterinary drugs, steroids, such as prednisone. So what are some of the solutions? First, behavior and environment modification. So CCD, or canine cognitive dysfunction treatment, involves management of behavior and environments, enhanced diet, and medication. You know, not letting your dog act elderly is vital. You know, just don't be treating your dog as old. Understand that there are limitations, but just don't give up on your dog. You have to keep walking your dog, especially now. Managing the environment is very important. You know, making it more predictable. Pet-proof your house just as you would toddler-proof your house. Allowing your dog to go out to the bathroom as often as possible is really important. Our older dogs, they just can't hold it as often as they did when they were younger. You can consider things such as diapers, pads, and waterproof bed and furniture covers, which can be helpful. What are some supplements and natural options? First, antioxidants, taurine, flavonoids, coenzyme Q10. Vitamin E is especially important in maintaining a healthy brain function and delaying further loss of brain tissue. We're looking at doses of 100 IUs of vitamin E per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Alpha-lipoic acid, this is an increasingly talked about supplement for people, and it can also have benefits for your dog. It's an antioxidant found in every cell in the body, but it's one of its main purposes in converting sugar into energy. Being an antioxidant, it also helps protect the cells against free radical damage. 
Alpha-lipoic acid is especially important in the brain in terms of helping and protecting those brain cells. We're looking at alpha-lipoic acid dose of 10 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Flavonoids, these compounds are in a class of their own. They compose the thousands of structures that give the bright colors to fruits and vegetables. If you're gonna be using a flavonoid, purchase a mixed bioflavonoid product uh, that contains the polyphenols, particularly EGCG. This is a specific flavonoid isolated from green tea. A pretty standard dose for a 10 pound dog or cat is 100 milligrams per day. Melatonin, it is frequently used for older pets that are having trouble getting to sleep. It also is a mild antioxidant. It helps make the mitochondria more effective. For dogs, you're looking at doses of somewhere between one to six milligrams. You know, so typically we'd be giving a cat one to two milligrams uh, twice a day. Uh, generally, I suggested doing the, a two milligram dose starting at in you know about an hour or so before they're going to bed. Um, and not upwards, if we're dealing with a dog that's 50 pounds or 60 pounds or more, we're dealing upwards of six milligrams a day. It's a pretty standard amount given about an hour before bed. A lot of dogs, especially dogs and cats that have trouble getting to sleep, this can be really beneficial and generally quite safe. What are some of the newer holistic options? First, 95% curcumin. New research in people has shown a strong link between chronic inflammation and degenerative brain disorders such as cognitive dysfunction. You know, these researchers looking at diets high in grains, along with repeated vaccines as potential underlying causes. The active ingredient in the spice turmeric is curcumin and it's been shown to be effective in people with Alzheimer's. The animal 95% curcumin noid dose is 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. MCT oil. This is especially important. I want to reference this one study. The efficacy of a therapeutic diet on dogs with signs of cognitive dysfunction or also known as CDS and it was a prospective double-blinded placebo-controlled clinical trial. And here they were feeding these dogs a 6.5% MCT oil diet. So MCT oil is the specific oil that is isolated from coconut oil. Um, it's become really prominent in people because of the whole keto diet and how it helps increase metabolic rate and, and potentially help people lose weight. It also plays a big key role in improving our overall brain function. Our brains can actually respond a little bit better when they're using MCT oil as a source of energy as opposed to glucose. So in this study, where, which was quoted as dogs were being fed the 6.5% MCT oil diet, they showed a significant clinical improvement an overall baseline category. They looked at six different categories of CDS. So yes, you can get a specific veterinary diet or you can be feeding your own dog MCT oil. I'd really encourage you to think about that. Especially if we were dealing with an older dog that got signs of cognitive dysfunction. Start at a low dose, a half a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily, slowly increasing to one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. CBD oil. Using cannabis oil or CBD, the non-psychoactive portion uh, found from the cannabis plant, um, has been shown to be beneficial for some of our animals that have cognitive dysfunction. In this one 2017 study, researchers in California, they found evidence that cannabinoids such as CBD could help remove dementia from brain cells. Pretty impressive. And if you've yet to try it for your older dog, I encourage you to consider it. It's also really beneficial for our older dogs that have uh, arthritic signs. We're looking at standard CBD oil doses of one milligram per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Lastly, I encourage you to check out Eileen Anderson. She's got a great book along with a website called Doggy Dementia. Um, her website is at dogdementia.com. Allergies. Here are 
It's by my suggested steps to helping stop the itching naturally. So what are some of the signs? You got external signs, itchiness, constant or intermittent scratching, chronic paw licking, skin rashes, recurring ear infections. You may have respiratory signs, runny eyes and nose. You may have intestinal signs, vomiting and diarrhea. There are three main possibilities, external parasites such as fleas. There could be food allergies for dogs, beef protein is most common. For cats, fish or milk are most common. Then most likely we're dealing with environmental allergies, which, which accounts for about 80 or 85% of allergies. It could be your dog reacting from pollens to house dust mites. But ultimately what's happening is the immune system is overreacting, causing the severe itchiness. So let's talk about atopy or environmental allergy. It can develop in any dog. Certain breeds are predisposed such as terriers and retrievers. Here, the skin allergen exposure is an important part of the cause. It involves some complex mechanisms, you know, including specific cells called cytokines, T cells, secreting an antibody called IgE. But regardless, what's happening is you get an external allergen, say pollen, on the surface of your dog's skin. It penetrates through the skin layer. Part of the skin layer has been damaged, and it can cause cells such as mast cells to release a product called histamine, causing all this severe itchiness or inflammation and pruritus. Food allergies or food hypersensitivity, it's another possibility. Um, it's less common in our dogs. It's still quite common. About 15% of allergies can be chalked up to being dogs being allergic to food. Here what's happening is proteins in the food become recognized by our immune system as being foreign and are then attacked. This causes the inflammation, which can usually shows up in the skin, but can also show up in the intestinal tract, such as vomiting or diarrhea. Other organs can also be involved if they are attacked by the immune system. The most common signs of food allergy in dogs are foot and paw chewing, itching of the groin, hair loss, facial itching, and recurring ear infections. The more common signs of food allergy in cats are itchiness, scabs, and hair loss on the face and neck. A common misconception is that food allergies usually happen after a recent diet change. In fact, the opposite is true. Most food allergies usually happen after the food has been fed for over two years, not just a few weeks. Most dogs and cats have been eating the food allergen for years before it becomes a problem. In dogs, some of the more common food allergens are beef, chicken, egg, cow milk, wheat, soy, fish, rice, potato, and corn. Most dogs in one study, it was 80% react to just one or two food items. In cats, the most common allergens are chicken, fish, and dairy products, plus common carbohydrates, including wheat, rice, and corn. So what can you do? What are some of the solutions? First, eliminate the fleas. You know, practice regular flea control using natural methods if possible. You know, and then topical antiparasitics if necessary. You've got a horrible breakout. Next, look at what's going into your dog or your cat's mouth. You know, what are they eating? First of all, stop the treats. If you suspect that your pet is allergic to something in his or her diet, first stop all additional treats, you know, such as milk bones, table scraps. Second, consider a proper hypoallergenic food trial. Here, you're really focusing on feeding a unique protein diet for a minimum of a six-week period, controlling everything that's going into your dog or cat. Like, you're being very, very strict. So for dogs, I often suggested a more unique type protein, such as fish and sweet potato. For cats, you're looking at a unique protein, maybe something like duck. Some protein they've never had, and you're, and you're not giving them any other treat. The treat they get is their food, and that is it. For a minimum six-week trial. If you have yet to do so, I really encourage you to do it properly. You could also make your own diet at home. Here's a home allergy diet for a 50 pound dog. You know, boiled whitefish, two cups. Boiled potatoes or cooked rice, two cups. 
one teaspoon of calcium carbonate, one tablespoon of fish oil, one teaspoon of potassium chloride, that's light salt, and a one a day multivitamin. If you're gonna make a similar diet for a cat, use something like one cup of tur turkey breast, one tablespoon of fish oil, a half a teaspoon of calcium carbonate, a quarter of a teaspoon of potassium chloride, and a half a tablet of a one a day multivitamin, plus 500 milligrams of taurine. Really, consider regular shampooing and bathing. One of the biggest thing about our dogs is sooner after they come in from being outside, have a damp towel at your door. What we're trying to do is minimize the number of external allergens onto your dog. So in one way, they say they've been walking in the grass, they come in from being outside, wipe their paws. Secondarily, really be regularly washing your dog in the bath, minimum once a week. Some dogs respond to even daily, where you're just in the bath, you're rinsing them off once a day. We're trying to just decrease the allergen load. If you are gonna use a shampoo, you wanna use a really mild, specific dog shampoo. I really like the oatmeal shampoos. Follow that up with an oatmeal-based conditioner. Consider soothing some of these lesions topically. You know, they've got serious inflammation. Calendula ointment is a really good option. It's a herbal medication. Been successfully used to ease the itch. You wanna really make sure you've got high levels of these omega-3 fatty acids. I really like, especially for our cats, I like fish oil, 1,000 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. For dogs, they respond to fish oil and flax oil and krill oil. But regardless, you need to be giving high enough doses, and that's 1,000 milligrams of that essential fatty acid oil per 10 pounds of body weight daily. The antihistamines, Benadryl is the most commonly used antihistamine in our dogs. It's given at a dose of one milligram per pound of body weight two to three times a day. For cats, typically in practice, we're using chlortripolon at two milligrams two to three times a day. It's obviously first best to consult your vet before you start using these. It usually takes about 14 days to use these uh, medications and they work really well in conjunction with the essential fatty acids. A natural antihistamine is nettle. So you can actually get dried nettle. An easy way to give it to your dog is you can, instead of just giving them water, give them nettle tea. Super simple thing. For your cat, so they won't be drinking the water, they don't like nettle, you can make a concentrated nettle tea and give them one teaspoon twice a day. Or you can just get dried nettle and mix that into their food, both with your dogs and your cats. A really good natural antihistamine option. I encourage you to consider this one bioflavonoid, quercetin. It's been studied for people, been shown to be effective, that have allergies, may also be really beneficial for our dogs and our cats. We're looking at quercetin dose of 25 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Probiotics can be helpful. Um, there's this one study examined where the use of a probiotic supplement or a placebo could affect the incidence of eczema in infants. And what they found is that they actually randomized over a thousand different pregnant women with 50% of the mothers taking probiotics, 50% weren't. What they found that those that took probiotics had a 30% chance of less likely developing eczema. So we know there's a big correlation between those good bacteria that are in your intestinal tract and the level of inflammation and secondary allergies. That the biggest probiotic you want to focus on is Lactobacillus acidophilus, and we're looking at minimum doses of 100 million CFUs per 10 pounds of body weight daily. A few other things to consider. First, uh, a couple different herbs. Burdock root, it can be used topically. So you can just using the root itself. It can decrease the severity of the itchiness. You can pull up a plant, squeeze out the root, applying the fluid topically to your pet's inflamed skin. And you can get burdock root commercially. Licorice root. So licorice root is considered the natural corticosteroid. 
I've discussed it an array of different times in the past. It's meant for short-term use, not for long-term use. And you're looking at the licorice root tincture. We're looking at tincture doses of a half a mil of the tincture per 20 pounds of body weight, two to three times a day. Maximum you want to be giving is for 14 days. This meant as short-term use. If your dog has underlying organ dysfunction, such as kidney disease, liver disease, then don't be using it, or at the very least, use it in conjunction with your veterinarian. But I really like it short-term use. My dog's got an allergy flare-up. I give little Tula a half a mil of the licorice root. Just stop itching in about an hour. Some of the herbal creams. I also have really like a licorice root cream. And the one I'll actually make is one cc of licorice root tincture combined with one tablespoon of coconut oil. It's a really good combination. And so I'll mix those two in together really well, applying those topically to Tula as well and or yourself. So it's a really good... Uh, herbal cream combination. There's some topical treatments that you should be thinking about and what this is doing is improving the skin barrier function. So we know now for most of the animals, especially the dogs that have allergies, they've got atopy or environmental allergy and there's a breakdown in the skin barrier. And the thing that keeps the skin strong, the good strong skin barrier, are things called ceramides. These are a type of healthy fats that make up this skin barrier. You can get veterinary specific ceramides, new topical treatments, Allerderm Spot On is one for example. But you can also apply your own oil that's much less expensive, potentially more effective. Most important oil that acts as a natural ceramide is sunflower oil. So if you're gonna help treating your dog, one, you can be dosing him at a half to one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily of oral sunflower oil. And as well, you can drop it on topically, similar to how you could drop on you know, the flea control products, right? So put a drop in the back of his neck, four or five drops along his skin. Do that daily, do that for two to four weeks orally and topically, you can see if sunflower oil can be beneficial for your dog. Had a number of different dog parents say, yeah, this was really helpful. You also could consider oral honey. So honey contains very tiny amounts of pollen. These tiny amounts of pollen are not enough to tri trigger the allergic reaction in your dog. But what they do is expose your dog to maybe the pollen he's allergic to. So this is only gonna work if you've got a dog that has the atopy or, or an, an allergy to one of the pollens. Right? So if he's got, say, an allergy to house dust mites, this won't work. But what we're assuming is your dog has an allergy to, say, to grass or to some of these flowers. These bees are using it to make honey. You feed your dog a small amount of honey, say a small amount as a quarter to half a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Do that for 8 to 12 weeks. It's a good natural way to, lo to sort of naturally desensitize your dog who has an allergy. A number of dogs have actually really responded well to it. So you can consider that as another option. Lastly, apple cider vinegar uh, for allergies, dry itchy skin, hot spots, skin infections, or yeast infections. You can actually bathe your dog in warm water, then rinse with a solution of one part apple cider vinegar to three parts water. The vinegar rinse will leave their coat soft and shiny, can be used up to twice a week. Also really effective against our dogs that have secondary yeast infections. The last part of today's podcast, a disturbing story about a woman who was killed by her own dog in Nova Scotia, Canada. A counselor was then advocating that the solution is breed-specific legislation. A approximately 40-year-old woman, they didn't publish her name, um, she died in this small Nova Scotia community. What was reported is that she took her two dogs out for a walk, she had two pit bull dogs, was walking on this uh, small country road. A jogger came along and saw sort of this one pit bull in the middle of the road. This woman 
covered in blood, dead at the side of the road. It turned out that one this dog had actually killed her. So hard to believe, and it's just so tragic, so hard to believe this can happen. It also turns out that one of the counselors, these were both pit bulls, as you know, the very next day they're talking about people phoning him, and he's like, well, we've got to consider breed-specific legislation. Even more disturbing, it turns out, you know, they published this on the news locally. So a person who heard it on the news, driving his van, knew this was the dog that had killed this woman. He took upon himself to run the dog over. I mean, all in all, all super disturbing. So how do you make sense of all this? Uh, first of all, we're, we're never going to know for sure what really happened. In my experience, most dog attacks are as a result of a poorly trained, socialized dog. In general, it's the person that's not the dog. I don't know in this instance. Maybe this person, she was a pretty dedicated pet parent and those dogs were well trained and something just went happened. Just like when people, right? I don't want to downplay the violence, but we do need to put this all in context. According to the CDC, they, they say that 20 people every minute are victims of physical violence at the hands of an in, intimate partner. They're saying you know, that like thousands of people every day. We know that's hundreds of thousands of people around the world every single day. So in general, it's it's the if you need to be concerned about violence, it's about people. It's not about dogs, period. When you look at the millions of dogs uh, throughout North America, I mean, over 100 million dogs, millions if not billions of dogs throughout the world, there's a teeny fraction of a percent are actually violent. Is, you know, breed-specific legislation the answer? Well, my experience, you know, when I was at the veterinary practice, most of the pities I saw, they were pretty darn friendly dogs. It was not the dog, generally it's the person behind the dog. In my opinion, breed-specific legislation is not the answer. It's having a dangerous dog bylaws and enforcing those bylaws, not being breed-specific. So in the end, I mean, do we need to be worried about our dogs, increasing aggressive dogs? I, I don't think so. We need to be we need to be aware that our dogs have the, the potential for being violent. And it's really key that, you know, we're early on, that we're socializing these puppies, that we are training these dogs well, that we are dealing with violent behavior, you know, aggressive dog behavior if it comes up. But honestly, when I look at the scale of stuff, it's people, it's not dogs. Clearly, BSL is not the answer. Thanks, you guys, for listening to Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets Podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or comments. One, you can send me an email, podcast at veterinarysecrets.com, or feel free to post after this podcast. I post all the podcasts up on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. Once again, thanks for listening, and I, I will talk to you guys again next week. This is Dr. Jones.